new bee, known for being cartoony, famous for being doggy. Nobody thinks much about him, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why Snoopy is secretly incredibly fascinating. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. I'm joined by one of my favorite guests and people. Katie Golden is a comedy writer, a podcaster, the host of Creature Feature on iHeartRadio, the comedy writer behind at Pro Bird Rights on Twitter, and a writer for the Somewhere News channel on YouTube. She's also a great friend, she is a dog owner, and she's my favorite person to talk strip newspaper comics with. Also, I've gathered all of our postal codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca. I want to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Canarsie and Lenape peoples. I want to acknowledge that in North America and in many other locations, native people are very much still here, and that feels worth doing on each episode. Also, my guest today, Katie Golden, she taped this from the country of Italy, and as I understand it, that location has a context outside of this. Today's episode is about a special topic, a patron-chosen topic. We are talking about Snoopy. Thank you very much to patron Karen Biernat for spearheading that suggestion, really making it happen in the polls. Also, a lot of support from Samuel Ross, from Mark Mosley. Others have also piped up and said, hey, that's a great idea. This episode is also full of stuff I never knew about Snoopy. I I think people particularly know I like him because I tweet the same picture of him every month. It's a drawing of Snoopy wearing sunglasses and playing the saxophone, and I feel that that has more value in it than most of the tweets I see, partly because Twitter is uh, a tough experience all around. I actually discovered that picture because my partner, she was a teacher at one point, and one of her students used that picture of Snoopy playing the saxophone and sunglasses as their Gmail avatar. And I saw that and said, something about that picture is very engaging. And then I started tweeting it every month. And so that's how that became uh, something I do. But as you'll hear, I'm a huge fan of Peanuts in general, and I'm so excited that we get to do a whole episode about a character who really is the topic of the podcast. There is a lot more there than you would think. So please sit back or lay all the way back on top of a doghouse. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Katie Golden. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Golden, what a thrilling time. Of course, I always start asking guests the relationship with the topic or opinion of it. How do you feel about Snoopy? Stop yeah, playing I'm... that piano. We have a podcast to tape. <laughs> I am so excited about Snoopy. Snoopy <laughs> Me too. is my hero in so many ways. Uh, what a dog. What a gentleman. Yeah, uh, what really an icon. Good. Yeah, he and he and his his close friend Joe Cool. <laughs> yeah, never seen them together, but yeah, no. I think they hang out. <laughs> Two different people, just like Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus. <laughs> what a were you a fan of Peanuts as a kid? Were you into it? Yeah, I was. I you know I don't know that we had the comic strip in our local newspaper, but I actually really loved the cartoons. And the the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas was one of my favorites. You know, watched it like every year. The like it's such bad animation. It's so like <laughs> you know poorly funded, cheaply made, and yet mm-hmm. I loved it so much. There was something so magical about it. Even like with this sort of this like not very good animation, when you're a kid and you're watching it, there's something like you find the magic to it. Uh, and yeah, I just I, I loved I loved Snoopy. I loved uh, his, you know, his whole nature because he's like he's he's sweet, but he's also got his whole own thing going on. And he's he's not always like that loyal a dog. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's 
he's sort of he's got a mystery to him where he he will he loves Charlie Brown and yet he's tough on him. It's tough love. It's true. He's like he never totally betrays Charlie Brown, but no. he is very, very independent of him and is on top of the doghouse and is fully living his own life. Yeah. Uh, and then receiving food from him. Well, I mean, he's got a busy life. He's an author. He's a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a jazz musician. Um, <laughs> you know, he's a, a, his best friend is a bird. So he's got a lot of stuff going on. Hey, your best friend is a bird. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> You're Snoopy. Uh, uh, I would never be a dog, Snoopy, called Snoopy. That's right. preposterous. <laughs> Anyways, I want to like lie on this slanted roof and eat dog bones like they're crackers. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think I have a similar Snoopy relationship. They would run repeats of the peanut strips in our newspaper after Charles Schultz stopped doing them. And then I would read the comics and then I would see especially the Christmas special. whole bonus yeah. show is going to be about the Christmas special. So we'll talk all about it then. But yeah, he was like around and especially on merch. Like Snoopy is the main Peanuts merch, I feel like, even even if people want all the characters. Right. Snoopy is the Garfield of Peanuts. And I learned researching this that apparently Jim Davis, the creator of Garfield, part of his thought process was that Snoopy sells the most merch from Peanuts. So what should yeah. Jim Davis make as a strip? An animal, probably. Like, that was yeah. part of how Garfield came to be. Yeah, Jim Davis is a whole interesting character because he's actually quite a good artist, but he was his whole goal with Garfield was, like, I'm going to make a commercial success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, money is great, and this would probably be pretty fun. And then he made our Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with Snoopy, I think we can start with, before the statistics and numbers, one big takeaway. Because uh, it's the origin of Snoopy, like in life and how he came to be. So jumping into... I mean, into... when a mommy dog loves a daddy dog and <laughs> they mate, usually they, you know, whelp a bunch of puppies. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I'm thinking of all those Daisy Hill Puppy Farm clips and gifs from that one special now. There's a whole (laughs) special where they spell out where Snoopy's from, but it came like 20 years after the start of the strips. Yeah, yeah, he's got like a bunch of siblings. Some of them have like mustaches and stuff. It's great. That brings us straight into takeaway number one. Snoopy is based on Charles Schultz's childhood dog named Spike. Aww. And Charles Schultz's first ever published art was a drawing of Spike. Oh, it turns out that like Charles Schultz got a drawing into national newspapers where he just drew Spike before he ever made Peanuts or made Snoopy or anything. Wow. So like the tail really did wag the dog, the dog being the comic strip and the tail being the drawing of Snoopy. Yeah, like he loved drawing his actual dog, Spike, and that was some of his first illustrating, some of his first work with art. Like there's in, I have a bunch of sources here, but there's one Schultz interview where he talks about being in high school and a different kid did a bunch of illustrations for an essay. And he was like, oh, I guess I could do that much drawing if I wanted to. Like like he, he always drew, but he never was like super into it until relatively late in childhood. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I get that, though, where I think as kid, as a kid, I was so interested in drawing animals. And I think that's still it's like when you're interested in animals or you have a beloved pet, uh, sometimes a lot of your art just kind of revolves around animals, like even more than people, because, you know, you just you're so interested in the animal, you almost want to be able to bring them to life on the paper And so, you know, that's how, I mean, like, I think that that enthusiasm for Snoopy really kind of is very clear throughout uh, Charles Schultz's uh, career. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, it was kind of his favorite thing to draw and, and a lot of the spark of everything he did. Main sources here are a compilation of Charles Schultz's talks and letters. It's called My Life with Charlie Brown. 
and then also digital resources from the Charles Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa, California, Northern California. It turns out Charles Schultz was an only child. There were no siblings. And then when he was 13 years old, the family got a dog. And that became kind of his best friend in the family. And they named the dog Spike. Oh, that's magical. Spike pretty much looks like Snoopy. Uh, he, Schultz was he a beagle? And so Schultz describes him as a black and white mixed breed dog, maybe with some pointer. But other than that, he says, quote, when I decided to put a dog in peanuts, I used the general appearance of Spike with similar markings, end quote. So he like he didn't grow up with a beagle specifically, but he had like a black and white dog about that size. And he was like, yeah. that's it. This is the best thing. Yeah, there's something special about like your first pet. I think that's it. It shapes your imagination so much as a kid. Like my first pet was a kitty named Mittens. And, you know, she she's long gone, but uh, all a lot of her mannerisms, a lot of the, the like fun things that about her growing up, it's like those have stuck with me for, you know, the rest of my life. And I think that's a very shared experience. We've all all of us who have had childhood pets, like you really remember that first pet. And it's very there's something special about that first pet you ever have. Yeah. How, how old were you when you got Mittens? I was, I think, in second grade. So I was pretty little. Um, and there's also, it's just like she, I, I, you know, grew up with this cat. She, she died when I was an adult um, and she was there for most of my childhood. And that, that's, it's like almost like a sibling in a way, but of course they're an animal. So their whole, their whole ways of expressing themselves and their whole world is very different from yours. But I, I think it's such a valuable experience. And I think it's, that's probably like a lot of the appeal of Snoopy is just like his clear love for this little dog character is so very apparent. Yeah. And that, that sibling comparison is interesting. I, I feel like he was an only child and, you know, 13 is relatively late in childhood, but like he gets a dog and it seems like he, you know, was almost treating them like a sibling and a person. And then Snoopy becomes a whole person in the strip because. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like, uh, I certainly with our dog, like give her a voice, speak as if, um, you know, she's talking yes. and just like we anthropomorphize our animals, but you know, it's, it's out, it's done out of love out of this, like, this is how I imagine they're feeling because they can't talk to me. And of course, Sno Snoopy is a silent character, which I find really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And as I feel like it almost makes Snoopy's life more private. Like he, mm -hmm. he's doing all of these discussions and typewriting and, and all these <laughs> ways of speaking. Uh, and it, sometimes the kids kind of catch what he's doing, but otherwise he's just out there on his own doing his thing. Yeah, he has thought bubbles and he has writing, but he doesn't speak. You know, he's a dog. <laughs> of course, yeah. he can't talk now. But, you know, and and so it's this mysteriousness to the the animal character who clearly has the brain of like a human, you know, like can write a novel and, uh, you know, fly a plane in the shape of his doghouse. But uh, he's also he can't really communicate with you know language with the kids but they just kind of accept like yeah this is a this super intelligent dog but this is just normal stuff but also he can't talk he's a dog yeah and and i think this real dog spike was pretty communicative like a dog can be yeah schultz thinks that spike understood about 50 words he also here's a charles schultz quote he was a wild creature i don't believe he was ever completely tamed end quote which is very Snoopy. Like, boy, oh, boy. Yeah. Snoopy's nobody's dog. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is the whole character. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Schultz not only likes to draw Spike, but they get Spike when Schultz is 13. Within about a year, he does a drawing of Spike and gets it published in national newspapers. Wow. And uh, I'll link the Schultz Museum's website because they have an upload of the piece it turns out in early 1937, Schultz gets a drawing of Spike published in the newspaper feature, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Like, I, I did not know this, but back in the 1930s, Ripley's Believe It or Not was like a regular feature in newspapers. It was an illustrated thing. February 22nd, 1937, Ripley's had Schultz's own drawing of Spike and a story claiming that Spike was a hunting dog that eats pins, tacks, and razor blades. <laughs> Was that true at all? I couldn't find more information about that. Uh, like, I'd see uh, either Spike is an amazing wonder dog of eating dangerous stuff, or 
or he made it up and tried to get him in the paper. Like, I don't know. But that's how Spike was in Ripley's Believe It or Not in a newspaper. I feel like that would be a lot of expensive vet bills. Although once my dog grabbed my shaving razor from the bathroom and then chewed it up, I don't think she actually ate any of the razor blade itself, but she impressively dismantled it. And I like checked her mouth or gums for any bleed and she was fine. I was like, how did you like? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty but amazing. Yeah. It, it is fascinating how it seems like dogs and toddlers share this incredible skill, which is find the most dangerous thing they can <laughs> immediately zoom in on it and grab it and just like put it in their mouth. Right. Like a bathroom is full of so many tiny objects and to specifically choose the razor. I guess it's sort of shaped like a stick or something, but still Hi. like, wow. Yeah. Just like <laughs> this looks good. I'll I'll chew this into a pulp. What if, what if you found her in the next room and she's fine, but completely shaved? Like, how'd you do that? <laughs> what? You're smooth. Like, a, like nothing I've ever seen. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Cause when I have, when I have to trim her, cause she gets these little like, um, sort of, uh, dreadlocks unless i unless i give her little trims like i have to yeah. hold her like a baby and give her lots of <laughs> treats otherwise she won't allow it that and pets have so much personality like that like not every dog wants to be cradled no uh, and to for trimming but some do some super want that and you know so then then you end up thinking like my dog should be the main focus of my art and all my work if i'm charles schultz <laughs> like this makes sense to me and it's, I mean, it's, they're very simple drawings, but they're very expressive, which I love. Yeah. And he, he really just kept on doing them. Like I'll, I'll have other links to other examples. Cause for one thing, not everybody knows Charles Schultz starts peanuts in 1950. Also partly gets kind of walked into that name peanuts. He wanted to call it Lil Folks and Lil Folks was the name of a single panel newspaper comic he did before peanuts. And I'll link an example of a little folks panel where there's a dog that's just definitely Snoopy or Spike uh, talking to a kid. Like it's he's he started started doing this drawing kind of immediately and then wrapped kids around it as he went. So Snoopy really is like the core of Peanuts. Like the, the, there would be probably no Peanuts without Snoopy. Yeah, I think like his two ideas, because the main premise of Lil Folks was look at how funny these kids can be interpersonally. So like, I feel like those are the two strips always going on in Peanuts is kids saying things and increasingly over the years with a lot of gravity to them or meaning to them. But like it's either interactions between human children or the adventures of a dog. Like those are the two <laughs> broad stories going on in Peanuts. And then they started interlocking as he went. So how do you stumble into the name Peanuts? It was some editor or publisher was like, what about this different name? And he was like, I guess. And then he drew 50 years of strips called Peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think it was called Peanuts because uh, Snoopy's head was kind of shaped like a peanut. Oh, I don't believe so. No. But they, no, uh, no, the, I know, I know that's not true. That was my child logic of like it must be called peanuts because Snoopy's head is a peanut. And I, I feel like a lot of people just call it Charlie Brown or Charlie Brown and Snoopy because that name makes more sense than this other name. Like the strip Garfield is called Garfield. Like Jim Davis right. figured out that part really well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good name for Garfield. The strip. <laughs> if this strip was a Marvel movie, there'd be like a moment where Charlie Brown turns to directly to the camera is like, I guess that's why we're a bunch of little peanuts. <laughs> in the in the early strips, Lucy is like born like she you see her as a tiny baby. I would love it if he recruited her for the peanuts initiative. That would be great. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, I'll link I'll also with those early strips, I'll link a timeline of all the Peanuts character appearances because they, they all shift, but Snoopy changes the most. And in early strips, Snoopy just looks like a dog and then gradually gains the like physical shape that matches all the kids and walking upright and everything. So there's a huge art range with Snoopy. I love early Snoopy, though. What a cutie. I really love the first Snoopy, just like yeah. little little bean head, very cute, big floppy ears. Wonderful. It's 
a really realistic beagle as they go. Yeah. Like it's it's how beagles look. It's not this like humanoid figure that it eventually yeah. becomes. I think my favorite Snoopy though is 1966. That's Snoopy. That's the one that like yeah. is the most Snoopy to me. Maybe because like it's the most similar to the animated cartoons that I guess maybe were made in the 60s, but also just right, stylistically yeah. it's my favorite because there's a certain heft to him. And he just feels like if I picked him up, there'd be that little like sort of like saggy weight to him, like a little puppy. Um, And I love him. He's my favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) And also with the the end of the Spike story here, Schultz also ultimately writes the name Spike into the strip. Because if people know, Snoopy has siblings and his main sibling is his brother, who is named Spike. That's a skinny dog with like... A mustache, kind of whiskers, and a hat who lives in the desert. But uh, in 1975, Schultz started introducing Snoopy siblings, and the first one was a brother named Spike. So the name made it into. I do love that Spike looks a little bit like a pot dealer from the 60s. (laughs) 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 But like a cool one, you know, who's like, hey, and invites you in, gives you some tea and like cookies yeah. And also a huge bag of weed. <laughs> he's, I think he's supposed to look like a starving, dried out desert guy. Like in the strips, they say the coyotes won't share their food and that's why he's skinny. But he also looks a little bit like George Harrison. Like it, it's yeah. all those things at once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love him. He's got the sleepy eyes too, like the half-lidded sleepy eyes. Yeah, there are, there are whole strips where Spike sits in the desert and talks to a rock. Like, he's just very calm and not doing a lot. Yeah, that's that kind of eye. <laughs> I lo- I lo- he's putting Christmas lights on a cactus. I, I, I really feel this Spike character because growing up in Southern California uh, and, like, you, all of your popular media you consume is, like, Christmas is snowy and beautiful. And I'm like, I'm living in a desert pretty much, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the two poles of Schultz's childhood, because he grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, very cold. And then that's why there's so much hockey and Christmas in the strips. But then for about a year, the family moved to Needles, California, like actually in the desert. Wow, really? He writes Spike to live specifically in Needles because they lived there for a bit. Like he and then later moves to Northern California, which is less deserty. But like, yeah, he, he understands those two particular American climates of like Minnesota and desert California. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I I love that. I mean, I I guess I should have known he would have been in California with the Christmas lights on a cactus comic strip because, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely seen animatronic dancing cactuses with sunglasses and a Santa hat in malls growing up. Whoa. I did not get that. That's great. Wow. I found it slightly depressing because I always really wanted it to snow on Christmas and I didn't understand why it was so unfair. Um, but yeah, in retrospect, I, I do love the kitschy, just like, hey, we're in a, we're essentially living in a desert, but let's make it Christmassy. Let's have Santa, Santa ride on a sleigh through the desert and, uh, you know, <laughs> Christmas cactus. Why not? <laughs> I also my my one reverse thing with that with media was when I would read Dr. Seuss books, I thought he just drew like alien fantastical trees. And then when I moved to L.A., I was like, oh, those were probably palm trees that were just yeah. colored, colored in. <laughs> like, I see. Now I understand. Yeah, I, it's not like Mars. OK, cool. Right. Cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the that's the first takeaway. Like Snoopy is based on his dog from when he was a kid and and kind of drove the whole thing. I love that. I love that that is like the heart and soul of the comic strip. Yeah. It really comes through. Like it feels authentic. And yeah. Uh, Now that we have that takeaway done, our next fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And this week that's in a segment called, Because Baby I Am Alex Schmidt, and here's a (laughs) bunch of statistics. It's data to log, log, log on this segment of the pod, pod. Pod. I keep forgetting to bring my lighter so that I can, like, you know, 
<laughs> bring that bring that up. There, I had sparks shooting out of my chest as I did that. So that actually yeah. that is that uh, took care of the, the illumination. So we're all set. <laughs> Uh, the, the name was submitted by Jaren Keys. Thank you, Jaren. We have a new name for this segment every week. Please make them as silly and wacky as possible. Submit to SipPod on Twitter or to SipPod at gmail.com. And the first number is third. Third. Because Snoopy debuts in the third ever Peanuts comic strip. He's in the series from the beginning, like the third strip. He's right there. Already he's the heart of the strip. Like, he, probably, really, he's just like, I want to test drive these first two strips make sure it's all safe and comfortable that so snoopy can come right in (laughs) it's warming it up for snoopy you know you've got your headliners um but then you've got you know the 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 acts that come before warm up the audience then here's snoopy (laughs) yeah basically and then the crowd gets their lighters out, right? Like, yes, thank you, mm-hmm. good. Their like, milk bones, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, so, what was the what was the first Snoopy strip? Yeah, it was October fourth, nineteen fifty. So, nineteen fifty, he draws a strip where a small dog is walking with a flower on its head, and then the dog walks under a window box of other flowers that a girl is watering, and then she soaks the dog in the flower as she does that. And that's it. That's the entire strip. There's no dialogue. Uh, Snoopy is not named. It's uh, I'll, I'll have it linked because it's online. This is so mysterious. It's just a sort of single visual moment. And that's the entire strip. That's it. It's very avant-garde. I love it, but I don't understand it. Like, why does Snoopy have... It looks like maybe the flower is tucked into his collar. Was this a thing that dogs did or people did with dogs put flowers in their dogs because it looks like it's this long flower and why and why does he have the flower and why does he get watered huh so i yeah i i feel exactly the same way and for the past few christmases i've been getting one volume of the complete peanuts each year a lot of the early strips are this mysterious like it's just a vibe and it doesn't seem to be a reference to anything, and it's just him doodling stuff that uh, caught his fancy. I love that. I I, yeah. I feel like comics aren't like that as much anymore. I know uh, Heathcliff is a little bit like that. There's some yeah. just like, hey, here's the garbage ape, and it makes no sense. It's just it's just a fever dream. But I think a lot of early comics were kind of a fever dream, uh, which. Yeah, now it's like there's got to be a setup and a punchline rather than just interesting vibes. But I really love interesting vibes for comics. Yeah, and I, I you do see some of the depth and vibe that made later Peanuts really great. I, I honestly think the very first strip is excellent. And, uh, and that brings us to the next number here, which is fourth, because Snoopy is the fourth character ever to appear in Peanuts. And the first three are humans. They are Charlie Brown. Uh, and then it's another boy named Shermie and a girl named Patty. And also Patty is not the later character of Peppermint Patty. This is a separate General Patty. But General like, Patty? So she commanded an army. Oh. <laughs> yeah, mostly tanks and uh, slapped a guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. But... The yeah, like the so that fir- very first strip is Charlie Brown walking past Shermie and Patty, and Shermie just repeatedly says Charlie Brown, that good old Charlie Brown, and then the last panel is Shermie saying how I hate him. It's so good. I it's love kind of this awesome. so much. It's yeah. it's wonderful because <laughs> you have. I mean, you have Charlie Brown walking in. First of all, I love the original Peanuts designs. I actually think I like them in some ways more than the later designs they're just like these little round-headed children and charlie brown has this like big smile you know kind of generally same like charlie brown nose little like floof on his forehead uh and he's just like walking by happily unaware and this kid is like just like yeah here comes good old charlie brown yes sir good old charlie brown and then suddenly his brow darkens and he goes how i hate him and it's i just love it it's perfect yeah and it's kind of already peanuts in the first strip like the, there's yeah. that's sort of a vibe that the children will have to get like Shermie has kind of a lucy vibe to me in the first strip like lucy yeah. will just get mad at other kids and, and right yep. 
Makes sense. Spiting someone for their happiness and existence. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can also, in the first trip, see they're kind of figuring everybody out a little, at least. Like, Charlie Brown does not have his shirt stripe yet. He's just a kid in a shirt. Not yet. And then uh, also in the very first strips, the main character is kind of Shermie. And Shermie, by the 1970s, is not in the strip anymore. But uh, He got canceled. <laughs> right. Right. For his crimes. We don't need to get into it. We don't need to get into it. Many, many uh, crimes. <laughs> I mean, he's got he's a toxic. He's a toxic gaslighter. You can tell already by the strip. True, he is really beat in the first strip. Uh, but but yeah, and so like as Schultz draws the strip, it takes a few years for Charlie Brown and Snoopy to become the main characters. And and quick numbers with that evolution. The next number is 1952. So two years in, 1952 is the first year when Snoopy has words in a thought bubble. For the first basically two years, he just does dog stuff and does not say anything to us, the viewer. So he just, I, I do love the implication that there, it's a normal dog. And then he suddenly comes to full cognizance and full sentience, uh, sort of spontaneously, <laughs> sort of like a singularity moment for this dog, um, yeah. which just makes Snoopy all the more mysterious of how did he sort of uh, spontaneously grow a metacognition. <laughs> He just absorbed enough human speech in the strips and like right. spied on Blondie and Dick Tracy and stuff. And then. <laughs> God, that's so cool. I love that. That that rocks so hard. You just like have this strip. Here's a normal dog. And then suddenly dog is like, my God, I can think. Therefore, here I am. I think and I am. <laughs> when next number with that, 1956. So several years in 1956, that's when Snoopy begins standing on his hind legs in a human way. Because, like, you don't you don't think of it reading all the modern strips where he's just walking around with the kids. But, like, yeah. early on, he drew him like a dog who's on all fours and sits right. up like a dog sometimes. But just in 1956, he begins walking around. I mean, it's interesting, too. Like, if you think of this from a biological perspective, you can see he starts out with sort of a smaller skull, smaller head. And then, like, as he walks on his upright, he has a larger cranium, which indicates perhaps that you have some sort of, like, cognitive development. I, I think this is very similar to human evolution, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, his, when you remember that all the humans and peanuts, well, they're children, but, like, they, they're all kind of bulbous and a specific yeah. unrealistic shape. Snoopy achieves that shape over time. Yeah, they're a little encephalotic, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I I I do love also just like how you just kind of have to accept it. It's like, well, he's a little person now. Deal with it, right? <laughs> Don't question it. No. And and the other big thing they backfill is I couldn't get a specific date for this, but early on, Snoopy is not specifically Charlie Brown's dog. Schultz decides later that he specifically belongs to Charlie Brown, but the first indoor Snoopy strip is him with Charlie Brown, but the next few are him in Shermie's house, and there's an early strip where Snoopy's being walked by Shermie. Like, he doesn't belong to Charlie Brown yet, early on. I mean, he doesn't belong to anyone, it seems like. Exactly, yeah. He yeah. <laughs> I, I belongs do, to I the always, road. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He he uh, he always does have sort of a like, I guess there's more development of like Charlie Brown, like, you know, this is his dog and they love each other. But there there is, I think the independence of Snoopy remains where yeah. he's often doing his own thing all the time. He's certainly uh, not one to sort of uh, be obsequious around Charlie Brown. I mean, it's Charlie Brown. How can you? Pathetic. Oh, Pathetic that too. excuse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Does Snoopy respect Charlie Brown? Because I would say no, right? He usually can't remember Charlie Brown's name. I guess in his defense, he doesn't theoretically speak the same language. Like we're getting his language through translation, but right. he calls him like the roundhead kid a lot. <laughs> uh, which, you know, dogs can learn a limited vocabulary. You would think he would yeah. learn the words Charlie and Brown together. 
yeah, I can, I can tell my dog to go find my husband. I say, go find Brett. Where's Brett? And she knows like, who I'm, she knows who I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. Uh, she, so like it is, I think it takes a certain amount of lack of respect and disdain to not bother to learn, um, Charlie Brown's name. And I love that. I do love the disrespect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I guess he had a lot of opportunities. So the next set of numbers here are just the run of peanuts real quick. Schultz drew every strip personally. He drew them from the years 1950 to 2000. Also, he happened to pass away within a few hours of publication of the final strip. Like mm. he, he knew he was ill and retired and then a few more came out and he passed away. So but, was it, uh, it was slated to be the last strip? Like it was... Uh, yeah planned to be the last strip and then he died after it was published shortly he yeah it was uh he officially decided to retire in like december 99 and then the last strip was a sunday strip in february of 2000 but he passed away the night before it published Whoa. which is kind of freaky yeah like yeah like he, he knew he was gonna pass so he stopped but yeah, yeah. The, the alignment is strange yeah it is yeah i mean you know it's i guess i don't really know much about about these things but i guess like sometimes um you can kind of hang on a little longer um yeah yeah i don't know but he but he yeah he spent you know 50 years daily drawing the strip it did a total of 17,897 strips almost oh 18,000 peanuts that's incredible so yeah. he like he literally really worked almost until his death on these strips. And I'm sure he didn't yeah. he didn't have to like he was well off. It was because he was passionate about it. Right. Exactly. Like I, I don't mean to keep bringing up Garfield, but that's an example of a cartoonist getting a strip going and hiring a staff and saying, right. you guys help. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, Schultz insisted on drawing and writing all of them himself. Uh, yeah. And those strips were published at their peak in about 2,600 newspapers in 75 countries. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not a particularly spiritual person, but I, I really hope there is like an afterlife and like Spike's waiting for him, like the real Spike. He's like, I saw I saw what you did. That's nice. He's got got, <laughs> got a pile of newspapers, pile, you know, like a pile of bones in a bowl that he's eating like popcorn and a pile of newspapers like, hey, hey, Charles, I like like what you did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. I'd like to think Spike the dog would be so stoked to be like, I'm the most famous dog yeah. ever because well, of you. Like, I'm the yeah. most famous dog, right? It's me. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine him to be to like be like, oh, yeah, no, this makes sense. Like, of course I would oh. be. Thanks, really Chuck. Great. Thanks for thanks for letting the people know about how awesome I was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really grateful to my assistant, Charles Schultz, for mm -hmm. uh, getting the word out. <laughs> Good job, kid. Yeah, like, what's your name again, round-headed man? Good job. <laughs> uh, Minnesota Jim? I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good job spreading the good word about me, the best dog. <laughs> All right, off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them and then you just stay there like, like really quiet 
and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. <laughs> when a few more stats here. One of them is a very specific stat. It is 2.3%. 2.3%. And that's an amount of peanut strips. It's about 415 strips. But 2.3% is the amount of peanut strips that specifically depicts Snoopy pretending to be a World War I flying ace and doing <laughs> Red Baron stories. I love that you worked the mouth out on that. Yeah. So oh, I, I got it from somebody else, but yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, still, I love that somebody worked the mouth out on that. So yeah. that's, that's incredible. I've all, I was always like, I, I've never been like a World War buff. Um, so this was mm-hmm. like a World War One. A fighter World pilot? World War I. World War I. And he was like, fight the Red Baron, right? Yeah, the Red Baron was a real German ace who uh, got gets shot down late in the war, but kills a bunch of Allied pilots before that. And yeah, Snoopy has a bunch of strips where he's on top of his doghouse as a plane, or he's like in cafes between fights. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a little more than one in every 50 peanut strips is Snoopy fighting the Red Baron or in World yeah. War I. And he's got he's got like uh, aviator goggles and a little scarf, so you know like he's serious about this. Really means it, yeah. <laughs> so what's the interpretation? Is he imagining this because he's he's got this imagination and he likes to think of himself as a pilot, or is his doghouse really a little airplane and he is actually defending the peanuts from a German pilot? Yeah, I, uh, with all of his fantasies, apparently. Schultz said a few things about them. One is that he felt like some real-life dogs do not have that fun of a life, and so he imagines dogs needing to have powerful fantasy lives to stay entertained. Mm -hmm. Um, And Schultz also said, you know, that as a creator, Schultz had all sorts of ideas that do not make sense with these relatively grounded kids, and so Snoopy was the way to do them and just write them and make them happen. Yeah. I love that. I, I do. I do think dogs have wild imaginations sometimes. Like my dog uh, does invent problems. Um, so like she, <laughs> she, when we're about to leave the house, she'll look out the window and start barking. And there's, there's nothing there. We live on the top floor. There's literally nothing there. Uh, not even pigeons, uh, nothing. And then she'll bark and look at us and then bark again. And it's like, look, see danger, stay here. There's problems. Um, or like after you actually, after you flush the toilet and come out of the bathroom, she barks at something. It's not there, but what she's saying is like, look, I defended you from this invader who was going to like burst in while you're peeing. Um, and so (laughs) thank me for that. (laughs) Now, when you say there's nothing on the roof, what if there is something, uh, let's say above the roof in the sky, such as a German fighter pilot from world war one, have you considered this? (laughs) Well, then, you know, I would uh, I, I'd really have to do a little bit of a egg on my face, mea culpa to my dog who's been protecting me from Germans this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a part of the strip. Like, you know, it's not really one out of every 50 strips. It's like whole weeks would be Red Baron stories and then others are not. But <laughs> but um, but like Cause you got to depict the whole fight sequence. It's like it's. Yeah. You know, probably like a Mad Max-esque fight sequence that's like very painstakingly, you know, choreographed. <laughs> right. A lot of crew. But and and also like Schultz wrote so many of these that apparently he also got a lot of mail from like World War One veterans. And once in wow. a while somebody who was like, Yeah, I, I flew and saw the Red Baron one time. And it's wild to me. Like, it was long enough ago that there were living vets who were like, hey, cool. I, I recognize that stuff. That's incredible. Also, this stat, which is amazing, it's from Stephen J. Lind, who's a professor of business and entertainment communication at USC and also has written a whole book about Schultz and faith that we'll talk about in the bonus show. But he makes a point that, like, that Red Baron fantasy is a lot more of the strip than some of the other big tropes. He also says that. You know, 2.3% are Red Baron, but 0.3% is strips where Lucy holds a football for Charlie Brown to kick. Like, it almost <laughs> never happens in the comics, except right. it's the most famous thing. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess we 
you know, we we love a villain, and Lucy's such a good one that the yeah. the fo- football being pulled away. I do think that was depicted a lot in the cartoons as well, which I think can you know that 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 probably sure. wow. you yeah. know influence some of the. But but yeah, sometimes you just have sort of a standout moment like the the gaslighting of pulling this football i mean she's a toxic gaslighting boss bay you know she's the original <laughs> one what if she's just shermie in a wig like shermie stayed in the strip that way like i'm in disguise <laughs> i'm still in the show shermie yeah <laughs> yeah and, and like there'd be whole weeks of just snoopy fantasies as you read the weekly strip He'll be Joe Cool, who we mentioned, who is a big man on campus character. Wait, no. Snoopy is not Joe Cool. Joe Cool is a distinct... <laughs> All right. <laughs> ...individual. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he's also sometimes a member of the French Foreign Legion, which is a whole other military thing. Oh. Or a star hockey player, which is especially from Schultz's Minnesota roots. He just had all sorts of ideas that... Somebody normal like Linus or somebody cannot play out. And so he gives it to Snoopy. That's I love that. I I love that so much for for Snoopy. Just he's, uh, you know, I mean, who's who's to say he's not part of the French Legion? That's right. You don't have to be a French citizen. So there you go. Right. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) And there's one more number here takes us into the rest of the takeaways. The number is November 26th, 1922. So November 26th, 100 years ago, that's the birth date of Charles Schultz. It's when he was wow. born. Uh, so oh. recent 100th anniversary of his life. Oh. But uh, he was born in Minneapolis. His father was named Carl Schultz, was a German-born owner of a barber shop. Uh, and then his mother was Dina Halverson Schultz, who was a first-generation daughter of Norwegian immigrants. This next takeaway actually highlights uh, Schultz's mom, Mrs. Schultz. Because uh, here we go. Takeaway number two. Snoopy was almost named Sniffy. Huh. It was a very close thing. That was the the thing Car- Charles Schultz was going to name this dog. But then he changed his mind and used his mom's idea. Yeah, Snoopy Snoopy is definitely better than Sniffy. There's something about Snoopy. It's the oop. It's the oop in it. Oop is a yeah. good <laughs> it's a good sound. Maybe that's why really like gu- maybe that's why Gwyneth Paltrow did goop because of the oop. <laughs> I feel sure. like oop stuff, you know? Yeah, and he I don't know exactly why he picked Sniffy, but it turns out when Charles Schultz came up with the character like like we talked about with these first strips, there's no name for the dog early on and like he's backfilling all this backstory and like like 20 years later he'll invent a puppy mill origin and stuff, but early on he's like I'll do a dog that looks like my dog Spike. I don't want to use Spike's name. How about Sniffy? And then apparently Schultz was like out walking one day right before a strip was going to publish that says this is Sniffy the dog. And he sees a newsstand with a comic on it featuring a cartoon dog named Sniffy. Uh, and he says, oh, no, and runs home to pick a new name. Like He's like, it. I got scooped. I got <laughs> scooped. Ooped. Snoopy. <laughs> but and and with this specifically, Schultz says that like he was gonna run home and write a list and brainstorm, but on the way, quote, I recalled my mother once saying that if we ever had another dog, we should name him Snoopy. So Dina Halvertson Schultz just fully came up with the name of Snoopy. Perfect. But by accident, thinking about a second dog. <laughs> No, it's it's a perfect dog name. I love it. Yeah. Because they truly do snoop. That Yeah, that actually leads us right into the other takeaway for the, the main show. So here we go into takeaway number three. Snoopy is a key NASA mascot and a spaceflight safety advocate. Wow. Snoopy. I guess he flew that little dog doghouse right up. And he's like, NASA's like, hey, maybe this little guy's onto something. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, yeah. All the fir- like, I think still, but especially all the first astronauts were military pilots. Like, wow, uh, that's uh, Snoopy is qualified. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, leads to this takeaway because, among other things, uh, the Apollo 10 mission, the Apollo 10 NASA mission, they named the lunar lander Snoopy because Aww. it was not going to land on the moon, but it was going to snoop around ah. above the moon for like a place for Apollo 11 to land and go on the moon. I see. Oh, that's fun. Like that's one of many connections here. Another one that I can just visually see is it looks like astronauts have like underneath the the fishbowl helmet, yeah. they have like it looks like big earmuffs that must contain like their communication devices. And those look like Snoopy ears. Yeah. And in the 60s, the astronauts start wearing these. I'll have a picture linked if people don't know what Katie's talking about. But that like kind of soft skull cap that goes under a helmet, they nicknamed it Snoopy Caps. Because it's black and white and has ear flaps. Like they they explicitly were like, this is like Snoopy from the comics. Yeah. yeah. It's totally like Snoopy. <laughs> it's actually very much like the original 1952 Snoopy. Because he had this sort of big, almost like Princess Leia bun ears. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Snoopy strips where just it's a visual joke of those sticking out or something. The, the first Snoopy gags are all like dog does physical comedy. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> but, I love it. But yeah, like Snoopy was explicitly part of NASA missions starting in the 1960s and to this day and is a huge mascot of NASA and U.S. space exploration. I love that because it makes me feel a little safer from like aliens, because if an alien race <laughs> bumps into us and then they see like Snoopy as our mascot, they're going to be like, these people are too cool to like blow up. <laughs> a dog a dog wearing sunglasses this truly is a civilization worth preserving <laughs> like like right they're pointing the independence day laser at the white house and then what's that little sweater wearing sunglasses figure leaning on the white house oh no hold, yeah hold up glee glorp hold up glee glorp don't press that button what yeah. is that is that a dog wearing sunglasses this planet rules oh, we can't blow it up <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, the, the key sources here, there's a piece for PBS Southern California by Kristen Bopes, and then pieces for Smithsonian Magazine by Matthew Hirsch and by Amy Stamm, because Peanuts' timeline really aligned with NASA. Peanuts begins in 1950, and by the early to mid-60s, it's a national, massive pop culture hit. Like, the first best-selling book is 62, uh, the first TV special, 65. Like, it, it's going on... Really right when Americans are saying, hey, let's go land on the moon. Like the key JFK yeah. speech about it is 1962, and then we do it in 1969. I love that. They're same era. Yeah. yeah. We're like, we had so much cool stuff going on. I mean, there were nukes, which wasn't so cool. But uh, mm, we had yeah. a dog, uh, Snoopy, and we went on the moon. And I just, yeah, it's like, th those are the, those are the good fun things that we did. Let's not look into too much other stuff we did in the sixties, but those two specific <laughs> things are pretty rad. It's probably all we did. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't check which president's name is on the moon plaque. It's Richard Nixon. Don't check. Don't check. Don't look into it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it also turns out that like, Charles Schultz was an early NASA fan. Oh, really? Like he, he was excited about NASA and space exploration before most other people. And according to PBS, he first got in touch with them in 1959. Really? Which is early. Like, yeah. for context, the first human in space, Yuri Gagarin, goes up to space in 1961. Schultz was, before that, writing space flight stories in peanut strips and he also contacted NASA and gave them a free license to use Snoopy however they wanted for no cost. Wow. He was like an early space adopter. Nice. It's cool. Yeah. Like people had heard of space stuff like Sputnik had happened in 1957. But but he was still like one of the first Americans who was like, this rules. Like when JFK was doing his speech, he was kind of like, come on, like, let's get into it, please. And Schultz was yeah. like... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to write Charlie Brown looking at the stars. Fun. You know, like he was into oh, that's it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and then Schultz also, he gave NASA free range to use Snoopy. The only condition was that Charles Schultz wanted to personally draw every NASA use of Snoopy, 
which is also like a benefit, but it, it's more work for of him. Of course, yeah. He was, like, he was like, but I my, have to draw it. My one caveat is that you get an original drawing from me, Charles Schultz. Like, oh no, dang it. Right. What a bummer rule, Mr. Charles Schultz. And and NASA used Snoopy right away. They were like, great, thank you. <laughs> it, it was almost kind of private, though, because they made Snoopy the like internal workplace mascot for safety. Like NASA Aww. printed posters, banners, all kinds of material encouraging the crew and the staff to be as careful as possible in their work. And he became so associated with safety at NASA, the astronauts started doodling Snoopies in their safety checklist books on the Apollo missions. Aww. That's so uh, which cute. is very sweet. Yeah. I love that. Effective too, because if Snoopy tells me to do something, I'm doing it. No questions asked. Like if Snoopy <laughs> told me to jump off a cliff, I'd do it absolutely. So it's a good thing he cares about safety because I will unquestioningly follow Snoopy. Some people, <laughs> I think, like unquestioningly follow people like Elon Musk. Wrong decision. Uh, he's a psychopath. Not a dog. Snoopy is the true like space hero that we should be following. I yeah, that wow, very different people in terms of reliability and space. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, they they even in 1968, so late in the Apollo run, but NASA created an award at the at NASA, the organization called the Silver Snoopy. And I'll have a picture linked of the pin you win if you get a silver Snoopy, but it's given for outstanding achievement in human flight safety. Anybody working at NASA can get it, and they award it to this day. They continue to give it to less than 1% of staff annually earns a silver Snoopy. I love I love the care about safety because so much it's like, you know, this idea of like, hey, we just got to make cool stuff. Who cares about the people involved? Like they may get injured in the process, but it's for, you know, technological development. But no, in this case, it's like we really want to keep people safe yeah. uh, and we will give you this. Ch and it's a very charming pin. So I would definitely <laughs> I mean, on one hand, I would want to remain safe so as not to kill myself or others. But I feel like this pin is really a huge motivator as well, because it's a, it's a lovingly I mean, it looks like it was drawn by Charles Schultz. Um, it's like this lo lovingly crafted Snoopy. He looks so pumped. He's in a little space suit. He's got the little <laughs> bubble on. I think he's got he's got his classic f scarf as well. His, uh, you know, uh, is, is that what I'm seeing? His little, his little, uh, fighter pilot. Scarf? Yeah. He's still an aviator. Yeah. Yeah. My one note Snoopy is I don't, I feel like neck scarfs, maybe not the safest thing to do when you're around a bunch of, uh, <laughs> spaceship machinery. <laughs> so That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he pulls it off. So it's amazing because there's not quite a way to quantify it, but a lot of the writing about this Snoopy safety at NASA material talks about a huge morale element to it. Because, like, spaceflight is dangerous. Talking about safety can be really sad. Uh, there was also a key low point of that in 1967 where it was the start of the Apollo missions and a ground test for Apollo 1, there was a fire and all three astronauts died. Mm. And so, mm -hmm. like, Snoopy in a really concrete way, like made it easier and happier to talk about safety and focus on safety. You didn't have to point to tragedies. You could be like, yeah. make Snoopy happy, make the dog we all love happy yeah. and be good at safety. Like, it, it was meaningfully helpful to the space program. I really hope that they've phased out things like for high schoolers, like red asphalt, uh, because I remember the kind of like scare, scare you into being safe oh. stuff. Like where it's the, like, like bloody driver's ed videos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I hope they don't show those anymore. They're just there's something mean spirited about those. And I get that you want to like, oh, if I scare kids enough, they will want to be safe. I mean, I, I think it's important to inform uh, young adults like of the dangers of driving and stuff. But I feel like that was just so traumatizing and so negative. Uh, it's scared. It like made me very scared to drive for a while. 
I, I like the idea of just like, hey, Snoopy wants you to be stay safe. Like Snoopy wants you to wear your seatbelt. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I'll do what Snoop Snoopy wants me to do. So I hope that we like I feel like even high schoolers love Snoopy. Maybe not. I mean, I guess Zoomers like, do you still like Snoopy? Yes. And why if yet? Yeah, why is it? Yes. If it's yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's absolutely right. Like you can just do safety positively because it makes sense. You don't need to like use fear to do this yeah. thing that just makes sense. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And and Snoopy also, I I do get curious about his generational appeal because he definitely in the '60s was huge, and then maybe I wonder how much that'll last. You know, as there's not daily strips anymore. But like in the '60s here, he's so big that. In a public-facing way, the whole Apollo 10 mission was Peanuts-themed. Uh, they mm -hmm. named the command module Charlie Brown, named the lunar module Snoopy. Also, the astronauts did like a mission walkthrough where they all petted a big plush Snoopy for luck. And then oh. I'll have another picture linked <laughs> of a press conference where they did a press conference with a plush Snoopy and sunglasses sitting with them. That's so like, good. It's like this like just very, very stereotypical-looking... NASA guy, he's got the buzz haircut, got the stern brow, yeah. and then just Snoopy wearing sunglasses next to him. <laughs> but yeah, and they continue to award the silver Snoopy at NASA. Um, space shuttle astronauts brought the first Snoopy toy to space in 1990. And then as you listen to this podcast, folks, like mid-December 2022, a NASA Snoopy toy should be returning to Earth or back on Earth because the Artemis One mission carried a Snoopy toy to space along with a Shaun the Sheep toy. That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, and it had like a mission role. Yeah. We've talked about this before, haven't we? If if folks are patrons and hung out for the latest like live stream show, we talked all about Artemis One. And and for folks who don't know, that's the first mission in a set that's gonna bring humans to the moon again. And Artemis One had like seats for a crew, but they put mannequins in them just to simulate human bodies. And then the toys, including Snoopy, are microgravity indicators. Wonderful. So there's cameras inside the ship and people back at NASA can see the floating toy to know that the ship is in microgravity. That's what they're doing. Snoopy's doing real science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because also that mission flew to the moon and then flew further. Like it's further than any mission with humans in it has gone. So that Snoopy has gone farther in space than any human. Amazing. And That's I incredible. hope is back on Earth safely if it all went okay. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> is, is Snoopy safe? This is uh, number one priority. <laughs> Silver Snoopy's all around if you bring, bring that boy back home. <laughs> That is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Katie Golden for being the Woodstock to my Snoopy, or the other way around. It works either way. But uh, really fun being buddies and discovering stuff about this cartoon dog. While I'm talking about him, the cartoon bird, Woodstock. It turns out Woodstock started out as one of two birds in a very brief storyline in the comics. Somebody built a bird's nest on top of Snoopy, and he didn't want to move, and there were two baby birds in it. One of the birds stuck around to be Snoopy's secretary, and Schultz initially thought of the bird as female, but then decided to make them male and Snoopy's friend, and name them after the music festival that was a recent thing. Anyway, I said that's the main episode about Snoopy and Briefly Woodstock because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is the story of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, titled A Charlie Brown Christmas, and then further stuff about Charles Schultz and Christianity and faith. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than 10 dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring Snoopy with us. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. 
Takeaway number one, Snoopy is based on Charles Schultz's childhood dog, Spike. And Charles Schultz's first ever published art was a drawing of Spike. Takeaway number two, Snoopy was almost named Sniffy, and Snoopy's name came from Schultz's mom. And takeaway number three, Snoopy is a key NASA mascot and a spaceflight safety advocate. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guest. She's great. If you've heard this podcast, you know Katie Golden. She's an awesome guest on it every time, and she also has her own fantastic podcast. It is called Creature Feature. It's on iHeartRadio. It is a funny podcast that has amazing stories and science and more about animals and about them and our world and about how they are sometimes a lot like us. Also going to link Katie's comedy writing and Twitter and more, but what a fantastic guest. Please check out Creature Feature and all her other stuff. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A lot of books and a lot of primary sources this week. In particular, Fantagraphics' combined collected volumes of all the Peanuts strips. Fantagraphics is an amazing comics publisher, and the first volume in particular is excellent. It's the years 1950 to 1952. It also has a fantastic interview with Charles Schultz conducted by Rick Marshall for a magazine called Nemo. Also use Charles Schultz's writing and talks and other letters that's compiled in a volume called My Life with Charlie Brown, and that is edited and also has additional material from Professor M. Thomas Inge of Randolph-Macon College in Virginia. Yet another book here is A Charlie Brown Religion, Exploring the Spiritual Life and Work of Charles M. Schultz. That's by Stephen J. Lind, a professor at USC. And then tons of online material from everybody from The Economist to The Smithsonian and the Charles Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa, California. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Get that logo on a shirt. Go to sifpod.store or visit the website of tapatico.com. That's where the Sif store is. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more secretly incredibly fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>